Hi, I'm Michael Hotard, creator of the Hotard Huddle and host of this awesome pod. In today's world of disinformation and misinformation, what if I told you there's an easy way to be informed about where you spend your money? Cluey Consumer. Download Cluey Consumer in the App Store or visit their website, clueyconsumer.com. Cluey can help you be an informed and conscious consumer. The app allows you to search for brands that you buy from every single day. The best part, it's totally free. The creators of Cluey Consumer hope to one day cover every purchase and every social, environmental, and political impact of those purchases. For example, my family frequently shops at Publix. With Cluey, I know that 73% of Publix political ad campaign spending goes to Republicans. The app doesn't have bias. It doesn't tell you how or where to purchase goods from. It just allows you to see exactly where that dollar could be going. Download Cluey Consumer today for free and become a more informed consumer. That's Cluey Consumer, C-L-U-E-Y Consumer. And again, totally free in the App Store. For more information, visit CluyConsumer.com. Bring it in, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in for the Hotsard Huddle podcast presented by HotsardHuddle.com. It's the pot of open discussion and open dialogue. We talk about a handful of topics that fall under the blanket of sports, entertainment, politics, and business. These are my friends, my people, my fans. You are now Inside the Huddle. Bringing in Michael Hotard back here for another episode of the Hotard Huddle podcast. On episode 35, I'm joined by comedian Steve Hofstetter. And I got to be honest, I'm fanboying out a little bit here. Uh, Steve is a very well-known comedian. He's been featured on the Joe Rogan podcast. He's got quite the following on social media and has built quite a reputation for himself. Uh, But I'm very excited to have him on his style of comedy sort of fits my personality and is right up my alley. Um, And I just kind of shot my shot with this. And I was lucky enough to have him come on as my guest. So uh, I'm super pumped for this. But before we get into the podcast, let's go ahead and hear a message from our sponsor. Add a little flavor to your kitchen with 985 Products. 985 Products delivers various flavors that hits the taste buds just right, making you smile and wanting a tad bit more. Their products are created with a touch of bayou and a dash of culture. The 985 sauce is the food lover's choice for flavor and spice. Or add a dash of the 985 Cajun allspice on your red beans and rice, gumbo, chicken, or soup, and you can fall in love all over again. In addition to their signature sauce and seasoning, wind down with some of their vintage wines like Kerry's Merlot and Kerry's Sauvignon. Join Kerry's Wine Club for $1.95 per year. A membership with Kerry's Wine Club includes five bottles per year, Kerry's Wine Club merch, invitations to wine sampling events, exclusive updates, and a 10% discount on all purchases. When you purchase from 985 Products, use the code HOTARDHUDDLE, all caps, all one word, for a 10% discount on any of their select products. Visit 985products.com. That is the number, 985products.com. And again, receive 10% off on your purchase with the code HOTARDHUDDLE, 
all caps, all one word. That is 985products.com. So joining me today is Steve Hofstetter. I came across Steve about a year and a half ago and kind of just shot my shot to get him on here. And well, it worked and I'm super excited to have him because I'm a huge fan. So Steve, welcome to the podcast, sir. Well, thank you much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So let's let's get right into the nitty gritty of this. So one of the first things I kind of recognized with your comedy uh, in particular was you take a very you've taken a very political approach to it. You have no problem getting on stage and talking about politics. In fact, uh, just last night I was watching one of your videos uh, where uh, you had made a joke about doing a. Uh, doing a set to a Home Depot light on the floor after someone kind of wanted you to just stop talking politics once you got into Trump. So, well, I, I guess, was was it always kind of a goal to get into politics with your comedy, or is that something that you just kind of one day discovered and rolled with? Well, it was always a goal to speak truth. And part of that is politics. And, you know, when people say oh, I'm not really into politics. Well, sure you are. Because you're into wanting the roads in front of your house to work, and you are into, you know, how much taxes you pay, and you are into how police treat you, and you are into whether or not we're at war. And there are a lot of things that every day affect people and they say they're not in the politics, but they're wrong. They just don't understand politics. Yeah, and I mean, it's a very, it's a very simple and uh, simple approach that I feel like not a lot of people think of when you put it like that. Because that's something I've also just kind of uh, learned from, I guess, listening to you and following you is you take a very simple approach to politics. There's, there's not, and I mean. For a lot of people, politics is a very complex issue. I mean, once you start getting into the nitty-gritty of it, of what's best for the country, what's best for society, what's best for humanity, it it can be a complicated mess, you know? And I'm sure you know people like this. You, you just said, you know, you hear a lot of people say, I'm not really into politics, and that's, that's a lot of my close friends. Um, you know, in fact, there are very few who are as open to discussing politics as I am uh, within my... I guess, close circle of friends. So I guess for you, um, you know, as far as the feedback you've gotten from being political with your sets, I mean, I know you put a lot of it out there, but um, I, I, when did you really feel like this was going to work um, for you as a comedian by being political? Oh, I still don't know if it'll work, and I kind of <laughs> don't care. Like, the... I want to spend my life doing something I enjoy. And I enjoy this. If, you know, I like, look, I've thought about running for office and I, I gave it a real look. I am in a lot of political circles. I would have backing. And I decided not to. And the reason I decided not to is because I don't want to spend my life in committee meetings. I don't want to go to county fairs and shake hands with people I don't respect. I want to spend my life doing what I believe in. And what I believe in is speaking truths to power. And so that's what I'm doing, and that's what I'm going to do. That's awesome. And and, and and that said, you know, you, 
it is a net positive for me career-wise because the you know the the people who believe in what I believe and the people who want to hear you know these type of opinions whether they believe in it or not will find me because I'm not trying to reach anybody I'm trying to just talk about what I believe in and so your audience will find you as long as you're authentic well, you know, during one of your one of your sets, I, I specifically it might have been in that same one I referenced earlier. Um, you had literally told someone, basically one of the people who was heckling you, that yeah, you don't have to believe me. After all, I'm standing up here, and that's when you kind of made the Home Depot light reference and said, um, you know, yeah, I'm up here in a nice jacket, so obviously you should believe me and everything that I say. Just kind of flipping it back on them. Um, but it sounds like, and I, this is probably why I, I I became such a follower of this, is because I, when you start going back and forth with people, there's none of this, yeah, I'm better than you as we're talking, and you don't give off that vibe. If they make themselves look stupid, then you just kind of feel the same way as people should. Well, that's on you for not being prepared for this conversation. So, um... It's one of the things I think I respect most about you is you're willing to have the conversations with so many people uh, who are, in fact, paying to come to a comedy show. Um, so it's just such an interesting dynamic and one that, you know, I'm I'm glad to have out there. Um, but what's, I guess, what's... Uh, from from your set from your uh from your comedy set what's what's some of your favorite things to talk about outside of politics well politics also isn't my favorite at all um <laughs> it's just some it's just something that weaves in sometimes most of my set is not political it's just written from the perspective of someone who cares um also by the way i appreciate what you said and you know and i'm grateful for it but I do think I'm better than some of these people. And the reason why is, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, I was on Rogan's podcast. And on that podcast, he and I joked a lot about stupidity in society and what to do about it, etc. And there were a bunch of people in the comments who were writing things like, oh, this guy thinks he's better than me. Was this guy think he's better than me? And I'm like, I didn't until you worried about whether or not I was better than you. <laughs> Like, if you're sitting there worrying about who's better than who, then everyone's better than you. Like, you need to just, you need to just be confident in what you do, be the best version of who you are, and then it doesn't matter. Um, the, in terms of what are my favorite things to talk about, I think it just depends on, you know, there's an evolution as a comic. Like, right now, right now I'm doing something very different with my set, in that my goal in my set is actually to make as as many and it's going to sound weird but my goal in my set is to make as much of the audience cry as possible and laugh within a minute because i am now writing a set about losing my father and part of the set is about grief and about how you know how we deal with grief and I, you know, I want people to be able to process and relate to that. And, you know, the overall point of the set is that we have to be able to laugh through pain 
or it's only pain. And, you know, and that's different than the other stuff I've been doing before. Um, but it's, it's important to me right now. And, you know, hopefully it'll continue to be important. By the way, this will be fun. It looks like I may have to go through a border checkpoint in a second. Um, <laughs> we get to have yeah, that live and in the flesh. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they'll probably just wave me through. It's, uh, yeah, it's, there's, it's, it's the U.S. Border Patrol inspects inspection station. Cause I'm in the part of New Mexico that's uh that's right by the border. Ah, gotcha. So looks yeah, looks like everybody uh looks like they might make us exit and they're checking. I don't know. I have to check for smuggled turkeys. I don't know what's going on. Right <laughs> now. Well, I guess we'll find out what happens shortly. But with the new set you're writing, so um, you know, one of the things kind of before I I get into this question, so uh, obviously with COVID and everything happening right now, it's uh it's hindering a lot of things going on, you know? Um, but I saw you had a, uh, show that you were doing right around my birthday in Atlanta, uh, in the middle of the year around June. Um, and it was funny cause I had told my wife, um, whenever I saw the, the show date, I was like, well, I found my birthday present for you to get me and told her. So hopefully that show happens. Cause I, I, I'd love to see that. So I guess, are you going to have that set implemented for your run of shows in 21 assuming that uh all things are a green light on that yeah that's the that's the point of the tour it's called the dark stuff and the 20 the 2021 tour is that set and the idea is that at some point during the tour um you know once i think it's ready i will be recording it for a new special dude hell Um, yeah so so the first, I'd say June would probably be around, assuming we can actually start when I'm trying to start in March. Yeah. June would be around when I start to really get the legs under it, because I have most of it right now, but so much of it was developed during COVID that I don't know how it'll actually play to a, to a real live audience, like, and not just digital. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, fing- fingers crossed, and I'll probably have to rework some of it and put some new stuff in add some tags take some stuff out um but you know that's the that's the plan dude oh, hell looks yeah. like uh, looks like we don't have to stop they just took pictures of our cars cool <laughs> they're they're coming to get you steve <laughs> but um no that's awesome i'll look forward to seeing it hopefully i'll be able to see it live and in person and then uh, uh do you do meet and greets after your shows yeah cool so yeah, hope- every show every show i do that yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with you know post covid yeah um you know i mean i don't want to do shows until things are safe anyway absolutely so hopefully they'll still be safe for a meet and greet but if you know if, if it's something where we're able to have shows but we still have to do social distancing and stuff like that what i'll probably do is i'll probably just you know get a plexiglass plexiglass barrier and just set it up by the merch table and talk to people outside of it. Hey, why not, man? I mean, that's how we're operating in stores now. So, um, yeah. But no, man. Hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to do it because, uh, like I said, I I fully intend to purchase tickets for that show. When I saw you were coming, I was like, oh fucking a, like this is great. So hopefully it'll happen. Um, and then I can meet you in person. But um, you know, with with this set, you know, you you talked about losing your father um 
And this is what's interesting. And maybe you're you're in comedy. I'm not. So you probably have the better pulse on this than I do. But with this being 2020, with it being a hypersensitive time um, that we're kind of going through, you know, one of the things about comedy and one of the things that I've always loved about comedy, um, even watching like roasts, like the celebrity roasts, things like that. I like being able to enjoy comedy with the premise that this isn't how I feel, but I am going to laugh at it and no things are kind of off limits in a sense. And, you know, unfortunately, we see people kind of get outed um, today for saying certain things and doing certain things that are part of a, a sketch. And of course, there are lines to be drawn. For example, you know, if someone comes walking out in blackface, yeah, probably not a good idea. Um, but with, with comedy and the way our society reacts to certain um, certain topics, you know, how important do you think it is that we need to remember when it comes to comedians and performances that that's what they are? They are performances. They are designed to make you laugh about the things that otherwise would not be funny in any scenario and I guess that relates back to you kind of kind of losing your father here so can you kind of speak on that a little bit well no offense but I think your premise is flawed I think that the 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 whole cancel culture thing is a bit of a myth um when someone is quote-unquote canceled and they're actually canceled, that's because they did something universally horrible. If someone loses some work, that doesn't make them canceled. It means that the people who were going to hire them have decided it wouldn't be good for business. And there's a huge difference. If you look at, you know, comedians who have been quote-unquote canceled by the left, well, then they're, they've been embraced by the right and vice versa. Um, I I don't think someone should be held accountable for something that they said 10 years ago that they don't believe in anymore because, you know, there, there's that, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but the, the quote of, you know, sometimes a hypocrite is just someone in the process of changing. Yeah. Um, however, if you say something awful, you said something awful. And there's no such thing of, oh, it was just a joke. Now, there is such thing of, hey, that was purposeful exaggeration in order to show you the hypocrisy of blah, 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 blah. Like, that is true. But the idea of, oh, I said this for shock value. I was just trying to make you laugh. It's like, well, write something more clever than you moron. Like, there's plenty of things that people can misinterpret. And every comment has had someone misinterpret something they've said but the masses aren't going to misinterpret something you've said unless you said something easy to misinterpret so don't <laughs> write a better joke write a more clever joke write a more compassionate joke have you ever had i, I guess with any of your um sketches any of your shows have you ever had a joke that just kind of relates to what you're saying and just kind of went off the rails that people misinterpreted that you had to kind of walk back and just be like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. So there, so there's a couple things. One, um, I, I had a heckler clip 
that was it was 17 minutes of dealing with a heckler. I think was the name of the clip. It's one of my most popular clips on YouTube. Had over a million views. And I looked at it a couple years later, and I took it down for a bit. And I eventually put it back up with uh, two of the jokes edited out because I realized that out of context, I wouldn't stand behind those jokes. And I had evolved as a person and as a comedian. And I wasn't. I didn't want to leave them up. One of the jokes was, I mean, this woman was absolutely horrible, and I made a joke that out of context implied I was pro-suicide, and I'm not, and even though in context it kind of made sense, it was playing off of something that she had said, it's still something that I don't want anyone misinterpreting that joke, Um, and you know, when you evolve as a performer, you can be honest about that. Um, the other thing was, I was doing a show at LaSalle in Philly, which is in a pretty bad neighborhood. And it's a gated campus. And I have played it a couple times before, and I always tease them about how much security they have. And I make fun of the neighborhood. And I, you know, I opened making fun of the neighborhood for probably about five minutes or so. And then I went into my set, which includes a lot of stuff about you know, how racism is illogical, is illogical and how, you know, I grew up in a mixed family and et cetera, et cetera. Now, after the show, I see all these tweet alerts from one of the students who start, who tweeted and left five minutes into my set. So she only saw the stuff about how bad the neighborhood was. And she started tweeting all this stuff about how racist I was. Now, I never mentioned the racial makeup of the neighborhood, and in fact, it's mixed. In her mind, I said bad neighborhood, and she immediately thought I meant black people. And that is racist. So she starts tweeting at the administration, you know, the people who hired me, trying to get other students to rally, and I addressed it head on, and I just said, hey, Here's the parts of the set that you missed when you walked out. Um, here's the, you know, I filmed this. So here's what you think is racist, where I didn't mention, hint at, or care about race. I was talking about how it is a crime-ridden neighborhood, which it, And to her, that meant racist, because she lives on some, you know, ivory tower somewhere. <laughs> and I just addressed it head on, and... And yeah, have some students gotten to PC? Absolutely. But the rest of the student body was, you know, was telling her to go fuck herself. So. <laughs> well, and that's that's kind of what I was gearing towards with that original question. Not so much cancel culture, because I'm with you on that. Um, you know, like one of the one of the things that I guess happened. So my my family and I are huge huge Disney World fanatics. We we go every year. Um, and just recently, they announced the changing of Splash Mountain, which, of course, has been there for decades, uh, also happens to be one of our favorite rides. Well, they're changing it because of Song of the South and everything that uh, some of the things that were depicted in that movie, such as Uncle Remus. Um, and they, they changed it. And, of course, you know, on one hand, I'm like, ah, damn it. 
but then on the other hand, it's like, I, I get why, you know, and with it being an older ride, they want to do Princess and the Frog, so they're updating it, but um, it, it's kind of what you're saying about just kind of adapting with what I guess people want, not yeah, like as far as the term cancel culture goes, um, I think it's very overstated, so whenever I uh, was asking that question, I, I it was more specifically geared towards something similar would happen with you at uh, LaSalle. Um, but, and I, I guess with comedy, I, I feel like it just may come with the territory that somewhere along the way someone is going to misinterpret or get offended, and it's just kind of how you respond to that. But the good thing with you, one of the things that I like that you do is you record every set um, because you can throw it up there, and it's pretty much the, okay, well, here's how it happened. And I and I love that you do that in your um, on your Facebook, on your YouTube, and all those things, because we all know the, the cliche of there's, there's uh, three sides to every story. There's one side, the other side, and the truth. And I guess in your case, because you record these things, well, people can see it in real time and see what actually happens. So I, I guess for you, that's kind of a big advantage you have with your sets. Well, you know, it's definitely helped, and there have been times where, like, there was uh, there was one at University of Kentucky where uh, this kid runs through the room yelling. Oh, shit. To try to interrupt. And I stopped him, and I said, no, no, no. You're going to interrupt this performance. You're going you're gonna to stand here, and you're going to take it. You are going <laughs> to take the results. And there was one point in it, you know, we go back and forth for a while. There was one point in it where he said something about like, oh, I just guess I need attention. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know if your, I don't know if your mother didn't hug you enough or your father hugged you too much. Um, (laughs) But, you know, but like you're acting out now. Now, that is a joke about bad parenting. That is a joke about. Uh, parents who ignore their kids, and that clearly there's a hint of a joke about his father molesting him. Now, that is not a joke about his sexual uh, orientation at all. Right. It's not. There's nothing in there about that. Nothing that you could even possibly interpret about that. And so, because he wanted to save face... And he wanted to get me in trouble for him trying to interrupt my show. He goes to the administration and claims that I was being homophobic as a comedian. Oh, Jesus. Now, roll the tape. Right. So, I happen to think he should have been severely punished for that. Because the idea of lying to try to mess with the livelihood of someone that the school is bringing in is such a disgusting act it is such a you know you have no integrity you have like this is something he should learn a lesson for and his only lesson was they didn't pursue anything but what i did is when i got books back the following year i went off about it and one of the things i said was i was like what you need to understand is that i am a fierce proponent of gay rights i have spent so much time in my life and my career advocating for it and in fact and this is before gay marriage uh was legalized and so i said in fact one of the big causes that i believe in is equality when it comes to marriage 100%. however i said however 
I just hope there are an odd number of gay men. I hope that every single one of them finds love except for that asshole. I want that asshole to die alone unloved. And I want everyone else to be happy. Because the, my weapon is my words. And so when someone does something like that, that's all I can do, you know, is to kind of, I, I guess, to, to make things right. Well, you know, when it uh, for me, there's a lot of things you're unpacking there that I can relate to to some degree because I, I've been doing this blog for four and a half years and I've written a lot of things. I've dove into political topics, sports, whatever it may be. And, um, you know, things tend to get misconstrued. And, you know, one of the tactics that I'll use on friends or if someone wants to call me out, I'm just say simply say, okay. You're insinuating I said this. Find me where I said it, and then I'll pull up the exact article or column they're talking about, and then I'll just highlight that part and be like, yeah, I, I never said that. Here's what I said. So what else do you want to bring to this conversation? Um, but well, it's... I, Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but what, what I was saying is, you know, sometimes you can say something that has an unintended meaning, and that can happen, and when that happens, you go, oh, all right, well, didn't mean it that way, and so here's how I did mean it, so I'm going to change how I said it. Yeah. Um, but what I try to explain to people sometimes, every now and then I'll get someone, the left tends to eat our own, and every yeah. now and then I'll get someone who you know will claim that I'm being racist or claim that I'm being homophobic when I have a lifetime of work that backs up that I'm not either thing. And so what I will, the, the phrase I'll use is, when you turn all your allies into enemies, who's left? Right. Yeah, it's uh, well. Uh, so talk about some of those things because you also come from a very diverse background that you've alluded to in uh, some of your Q and As and stuff. Um, you know, you uh, you grew up under uh. Uh, you know, under the Jewish religion, so Judaism. Um, and then I, I think it was your sister. Um, your sister, your half sister or stepsister is black, correct? Uh, no. So, uh, she, she is my sister. Uh, she was adopted, but she was adopted when she was 10 days old and she's older than me. Okay. So she is my sister like anybody else. Right. Um, now I, I also have a foster brother who is, or had a foster brother. He's passed, but he's much older than the rest of us so he was a, he was kind of more of an uncle in a way than a brother <laughs> because you know because he was my parents uh, my parents worked in a foster home when they were in their 20s mm -hmm. and these kids were teenagers so you know he was only 10 years younger than my parents and my parents also waited a while before they had kids so they were much older than I was so you know he's he's probably I think he was probably 25, 30 years older than me. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's more like having an uncle around than a brother, but um, he's he and his family are Christian. So as a Jewish family with a Christian brother, or sorry, I should say a white Jewish family with a Christian brother and a black sister. So it is, it is, and not only that, but I grew up in Queens, which is the most diverse county in the country. There are more languages spoken in Queens than any other county in America. And um, I lived in Briarwood, which is the most diverse part of Queens, because it was originally, you know, like Parkway Village is a part of Briarwood, and that was originally United Nations housing, and then it just became low-income housing. And so my friend group growing up 
Um, there were six of us, and it was two white Jewish kids, um, a Mexican kid, a Korean kid, an Indian kid, and a Chinese kid. Wow. That's who I grew up with. Yeah, and there was a... At one point, I ran into, you know, some, some kids I went to grade school with came to one of my shows. We're catching up. You know, I haven't seen these people in, you know, 20 years. And catching up. And we're asking about, like, oh, have you, have you you know, talked to Amal? Have you talked to Velen? Have you talked to Liku? And we realized, like, the names we're saying and how spoiled we were as kids. <laughs> that not everybody was just Tom and Dave. Right. I mean, you say, I guess, uh, to kind of play off of that, you say spoiled, but I mean, I think that's, and I mean, I'm not saying that you're downplaying that at all, but that's, that's awesome. You know, one of the, one of the struggles that, you know, I'm, I currently, you know, face as a parent, I have a three-year-old son and then I have a six-month-old daughter. And like I said, I told you this before we started recording, we had ju- we literally just moved to Atlanta probably six, uh, six weeks ago maybe, and we're living out in the boonies, man. Like, we're in the outskirts of Atlanta, we're in, we're in Noonan, um, and we're, we're looking to, you know, move closer to the city, but one of the cool parts of that city, uh, of Atlanta, and I, you know, I work right near downtown, is that the diverse amount of people um, that are in Atlanta, you know, uh, the office I work with, we have uh, demographics from all over. Um, so it's it's cool. And that's something I want my my kids to have exposure to is to different people, because I and I wrote this around March where uh, Black Lives Matter started really ramping up um, really after the uh, Ahmaud Arbery shooting. Um I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, you know, for the first 10 years of my life, as far as my interactions with people who were not white, a handful, maybe three, and even then, like, I wouldn't say I was friends with them more so than I happened to be on their sports team or whatever the case may be. Um, So there were a lot of racial undertones that I believed growing up. Um, that really, once I got to college, started sort of unwinding, and you know, for the last ten years, I've I've tried to eliminate certain words from my from my everyday language. Um, I've and you know, I've become more open to being friends with people from different backgrounds. So, you know, for my kids, I hope that's something that they get the opportunity to have because I really didn't have that, and I think that's huge and that's important for you know, development as a person. Oh, it absolutely is. And, you know, as, as diverse, you know, uh, ethnically, racially, religiously, my upbringing was, I was, it was still very preventable. Um, you know, just, I never left New York. I was, uh, 19 before I got on a plane for the first time. I was 19 before I went, further you know I'm, I'm from queens new york and and you know the furthest i had been before i was 19 was baltimore and yes three hours and uh although i guess no i guess dc i guess dc is a little further but still the the idea of you know i thought everyone north of the bronx was a hick like i didn't <laughs> know i didn't know the country i didn't know the world and there's this great quote from Mark Twain 
travel is the enemy of prejudice. Dude. And being able to now have been to so many different places in the country, uh, so many different places in the world, you know, the thing I value the most about my profession is that I'm able to see that there are good and smart people everywhere, there are dumb and evil people everywhere. There might be concentrations in certain places, but it allows you to really understand that, you know, kind of people are people. And the, the fun thing is, is that there's no one I can't have a conversation with because I've been to so many places now. Right. Like there's something I would have in common. Like, okay, you said you live that part of Atlanta. What, where, where is that geographically in Atlanta? Wait, what's that? Your your uh, your neighborhood that you live in now geographically where is that? Uh, it's south North south. Uh, no south southeast. Southeast of the city. Okay, so that's toward um, Alabama, there, Mississippi, so like south, south of the south of the airport. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. like we're literally so, like literally uh, probably an hour from the Alabama state line. Oh wow! So you don't live in a suburb of Atlanta. You live in a different place. Yeah, like yeah, is. no. Like I, I'm when I tell you I'm on the outskirts, I am far on the outskirts right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are people on the outskirts being like, "Man, he's far away." Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but but that's my point is that instantly I was still able to be like, "Okay, that's where the airport is." That's where the, you know, I'm not from Atlanta. I've never lived in Atlanta. But traveling enough allows you to just know enough things that you could start talking to anybody. And, right, you know, and that's something I really, really value as a comic. That's awesome, man. Now, what's some? Of, I guess what's some of the favorite places that you've been, both um, abroad and domestically? Oh, I am in love with Wellington, New Zealand. Okay. Um, Wellington is so gorgeous. New Zealand in general is just such a peaceful, chill place, and you know, like they're. Their right-wing populist party in this past election got less than 1% of the vote. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, in the States, um, I love, uh, I love Lake Tahoe. Uh, Lake Tahoe physically is, you know, I think the most beautiful part of the States. Um, whenever I do a show in Reno, I'll take a day, you know, drive, because I'll usually play there in the summer. And so I'll take a day, drive an hour down, get an inner tube, and just kind of, you know, float around in the lake. It's the best. Um, and, you know, just culture-wise, I love Seattle. Um, big fan of Seattle and the food scene. Boise was a really pleasant surprise. Um, you know, I always thought Idaho was Idaho, but, you know, I've gotten to know Boise as a city, and I like it I like it a great deal. Um, and, uh, you know, also a big fan of Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I actually have a friend that lived in uh, lived in Seattle. He recently just moved, I think, to Michigan. Um, and dude, he was he raved about it. He was like, "Man, like you gotta come." Unfortunately, I'd never have, but it's definitely a place that uh, my wife and I have always wanted to visit. Um, well, the weather is such garbage, and people still move there. That's how good it is. <laughs> well said. Um, well, for so one of the specific. Uh, hecklers i did want to ask you about um this is one of one of my favorites that you have online um and it was 
the the person who you were talking about people who have too many kids and can't afford them and why it's bad for society and uh someone had kind of stood up and got offended by it and kind of gave you some shit for it um and you know you pretty much just kind of lit into her and was like wait you weren't offended by anything else, but because that applies to you, now you're offended. So um, I, I assume you know which one I'm talking about. You know what was yep. going through your head during that whole situation? Because one of my favorite responses you had was just kind of making fun of all these, all the people who have too many kids and can't afford them, and you just yeah. One of the things you do when you start going on uh, on the rants is you make these little voices, and you're like, eh, "I'm gonna make some peoples with that in there." And I, dude, I shared that to my wife. We were both dying laughing about it. But yeah, talk about that so, that person. So that was that was a very uh, I shouldn't say very unique. That's you know the point of the word unique. Uh, that was a unique one because it happened at the end of recording a special, and I had just recorded two versions of the special because we had two shows in one night to make sure we had it. And I had everything I wanted, and I was very happy with how it went. And this was during the Q&A afterward, and we only did the Q&A because we were getting people to sign releases. And so the idea that this woman is so offended, and she's got tickets to the front row of my special? <laughs> like, what are you doing here, miss? It's such a weird thing. And so I was laughing so hard. And I think part of what makes the clip is that... I. You know, she's so angry, and I don't care. <laughs> like, I'm just having a ball with it. And I think, you know, I think that makes the clip so much more fun. And, you know, and that's something that I, that's something that I kind of, I kind of learned from that clip in the idea of like the, you know, and I say learn, you know, learn from really watching myself on this is that. If you can, if you can hold your anger back, you know, if you can not get angry, stay in the moment, have a good time with it, it's so much funnier. Because if someone tries to swing at you and you swing back at them, it's not nearly as effective as if you step to the side and let their weight carry them until they fall. And that's what happened with that clip. And, you know, the, the material you reference, you know, the silly voice, that's just part of the bit. And she just, it was so weird to interrupt <laughs> when she did, especially because it's like, you just watched, it's my, it's my special. So it's the, it's the most fandom I'll ever have at a show. You just watched me kill for an hour in front of a room full of my fans. And you think you're going to make a point now? <laughs> It was just so silly. And, you know, in the line that you were talking about, about the idea of, you know, so you were only offended when it was something that applied to you. Um, Chris Bowers, who's a great comic and a buddy mm -hmm. of mine, has a has a wonderful bit um, where he talks about um, basically his he had two roommates. Um, and so he had this one roommate um, who would who like came into his room and he was completely naked except he had Chris's hat covering his dick. <laughs> and Chris was like, the hell are you doing? It's my hat. And the roommate was like, oh, come on, it's funny. And he's like, it's not funny. Give me my fucking hat. Get my hat off your dick. 
<laughs> then he comes back in the room, and he's wearing the other roommate's hat on his dick. <laughs> oh, my God. And Chris is like, you know when it's not your hat, it is kind of funny? <laughs> and part of the bit, it goes into the idea that, like, everyone here has a hat. Yeah. And when it's not your hat, it's funny. You've got to realize that, like, it's funny regardless. Just because it's your hat doesn't make it any less funny. And it's such a great point made in such a silly way. I love that bit. That's awesome. And, you know, kind of playing that kind of on my own personal uh, personal things that have, I guess, happened to me throughout life. Like, you know, I lost my grandmother to cancer and I lost uh, my grandfather to Alzheimer's. Two very awful things. Um you know, uh, well, one of the shows I saw when I was in college was Bo Burnham, and um, he has a song called "Ironic." And the very end of the song, he uh, he closes it by saying, "His, you know, my grandfather had Alzheimer's, and one day we were." And then he just cuts off the song, um, and you know, it's one of those things that's just like. Like, for me personally, I'm just like, learn to laugh about the bad things because it's not going to devalue, you know, like the people you've lost or what's happened to you. Um, you just, uh, with situations like that, I'm always just kind of like, like, just take a step back and laugh a little bit. Some situations are bad. Let's, you know, let's not grieve too harshly about them. Um, and I, I uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes. Um, is, I assume you've seen the movie Patch Adams. I have not. Have not, okay. Well, Robin Williams, of course, in typical Robin Williams fashion, has, uh, one of his famous monologues at the end of it, and, you know, that's kind of one of the things he referenced was, you know, God forbid we treat uh, death with, uh, some dignity and laughter, basically, uh, paraphrasing there, so... Yeah, I mean, with comedy, again, it's a place for you to laugh about some of the, I guess, terrible things that have happened uh, through in your life, so to speak, um, as from an audience perspective. Um, yeah. But one of the other one of the other things I wanted to specifically ask you about, you kind of coined this phrase, I feel like, and it's it's such a shit bag, but such a golden nugget thing to say to someone so with you getting up there and you talking about politics a lot of course everyone wants to throw their hat in the ring with it well when someone says something that is inherently not true i believe and correct me if i butcher it and i'm sorry if i do but thank you for incorrecting me i believe is the phrase that you use so, yeah, and it's a very specific, it's used in a very specific time. Thank you for incorrecting me is used when someone tries to correct you, but they're wrong. And, you know, it's not politics in general. It's just, you know, it's anything. Um, because correcting someone is such a jerk move to begin with during a show. But if... If you're wrong, like, you better be right. If you're going to be pedantic <laughs> like that, you better be right. Yeah, and, you know, I've seen I've seen you have a couple of clips on there, and, like, I've seen it happen or pop up in some of the other videos, and I'm like, oh, there it is. Um, but it's it's always funny to see it just because, like, it's, I guess it's like that, that version of, 
kind of just bitch slapping someone uh, in a verbal sense because it, it. I guess if you're on the receiving end of hearing that, it's like, oh shit, what just happened? And your audience is just kind of left speechless with it. So I've always, I've always really enjoyed that that little phrase that you throw into some of your shows and uh, some of your interactions. Unfortunately, Steve did have to cut the podcast a little short due to an emergency situation, but I'm super grateful that he took the time to speak with me and come on the podcast, uh, given the following he has. Um, it was a great experience, and uh, I, I hope you all give him a follow uh on social media you can find him on facebook youtube instagram all those he's got some great videos uh you know as we talked about throughout the pod dealing with the hecklers uh is one of my favorite parts about what he does uh and hopefully i'll be able to catch him in atlanta uh and covid does not postpone that show uh because i would definitely love to see him live but again uh huge thanks to steve i appreciate him coming on And as always, honor the huddle. This episode is sponsored by Cheers for Ears. No Disney trip or Disney theme party is complete without your very own character-customized Mickey ears. That's right. Any theme you want made right into your Mickey ears or Mickey hat. They're festive, fun, and affordable. For my family's next Disney trip, I purchased our very own Mike and Sully themed hats for my son and I. We absolutely love them and we'll use them for our trips here on out. Get your very own custom ears and let them make your dreams come true so you can look great and live your happily ever after in good fashion for your next trip. Receive 10% off if you let them know Hotard Huddle referred you. That's Cheers for Ears. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram at Cheers for Ears. Visit the information section on the episode or hotardhuddle.com for more information about their social pages and email. Again, cheers for ears. Receive 10% off your purchase when you let them know Hotard Huddle referred you. So bring some added magic to your next Disney trip with cheers for ears. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hotard Huddle podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on all major platforms such as Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Don't miss any updates from HotardHuddle.com by going to the website and subscribing to our email list. You can also follow Hotard Huddle on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle. As always, honor the huddle.